Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Hey, if you've been listening to the show and you've been loving the content, loving the guests, and really appreciate all of the work that's happening in the Money Nerds community, then do me the biggest favor and leave a five-star review. If you leave a comment, it tells me exactly who's listening in, what you like, and what you don't like, and all of that feedback means the world to me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We talk about debt a lot on this podcast because there's so many people that are struggling with debt and trying to figure out how do I balance living a normal life, whatever normal looks like for you, paying down my debt, putting money for retirement, and just building up a safety net. It's really tough to balance. And I personally love learning from people who paid off a lot of debt. I actually find that it's really interesting to hear what worked for them. There's always little nuances that I think we can all apply to our own lives. And whether or not that's it resonates fully with you or just pieces of it, I think you can learn a ton. So that's why I was so excited to chat with today's guest, Paige Pritchard. She is such a rock star. And before we dive into Paige and all of her awesomeness, I have to share with you a really fun money win. This money one comes from Mary in the private Facebook group, Manage Your Money Like a Boss, which I highly encourage you to join in. You can get support. You can chat with people. You can hang out with Mary, with myself, with other money nerds. There's just a lot of us in there, and we're all just focusing on bettering our lives one day at a time. Here's Mary's money win. She says, I made my own yogurt today. One gallon, 128 ounces worth. If one six ounce plain yogurt is about a dollar in the grocery store, I just made roughly $20 worth of it. My family finishes a gallon of yogurt every week, so I saved $20 this week. Definitely worth it. Hashtag money win. Mary, I'm super impressed. I don't know if I, like, I really don't think I'd have the courage to make my own yogurt, but I love that you're doing this. I think it's incredible. And maybe I need to take notes from you because obviously I'm not doing it and I could be saving some money too. I too go through a lot of yogurt, but congrats on your money win. I think it's the little things that really add up and make a big difference in your financial life. Okay, now that we all feel like underachievers for not making our own yogurt, (laughs) I'm teasing Mary, I'm just joking. Let's learn a little bit about today's guest. Paige Pritchard is the founder of The Purposeful Penny. You might have seen her Instagram. She's all over the place. It's really a beautiful aesthetic, and I love the content she shares on Instagram. So Paige created The Purposeful Penny community as a way for really helping women gain knowledge and confidence and live their most purposeful financial life. She's also a full-time account manager in the corporate world in addition to growing her business, which I always think is super interesting to see how people balance those two very demanding jobs. Paige was inspired to start her blog after paying off $98,000 of student loan and credit card debt by the age of 27. She bought her first home at 25, and she's also built a six-figure retirement portfolio by her 29th birthday. So Paige is kind of kicking butt. She also made it her mission to provide knowledge and strategies she learned along the way to help other millennial women and spread the message that your 20s doesn't have to be a struggle, but rather a time where substantial financial progress can happen. I am all about that mission. Paige is such a fun guest. I think you guys are going to learn a lot from her. I know I definitely did. She's very inspirational, and I am so excited to introduce you to my new friend, Paige Pritchard. Paige, thank you so much for hanging out. It is going to be so much fun. I feel like I, we were talking before I officially put record. I feel like I've known you for years. <laughs> I know. 
same. I know. When you reached out, you were like, hi, I'm Whitney. I was like, oh, girl, I know you are. <laughs> Isn't it so, yeah, it's like this awkward. Actually, we were talking to you. I just got back from FinCon. And that's the weirdest thing, too, is you know pretty much everybody there, but you've never yeah. officially met. Super awkward. Yeah. I know. I know. It's like internet friends that like, you know who everybody is, but you don't actually know each other in real life. So it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. So tell us about real life. What do you do in real life? So I, you know, on top of doing Purposeful Penny, I still work full time in corporate America. So for the past six years, I've worked for each company. And essentially what I do is I'm an account manager for them. So I'm in data. So my company deals with data and I'm an account manager. And so basically all day long, I am just working with numbers and data and kind of using that with my clients to kind of figure out how it, it can solve their issues and problems that they have in their business. So that's what I do full time, Monday through Friday, nine to five. And I specifically, I'm kind of targeted in the automotive space, but I kind of travel all over. So that's Amazing. what I do full time. Yeah. And that makes so much sense too. now hearing that that's what your full-time job is too, because your content is very strategic. It's very different than a lot of other personal finance content creators in the sense that it's very actionable. And that probably comes from your day job. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I really try to make it actionable. And I really focus on numbers a lot. Like I am a numbers person, like give me the numbers. Mm -hmm. I want to do the math. And so what I really try to do is, you know, with my followers or readers, whenever somebody comes to me with a problem, more often than not, my first question to them is like, okay, have you crunched the numbers? And you know, what's so funny is a lot of times the answer to that question is no. People are like, no, well, I haven't really done that yet. And I'm like, well, that's where we need to start. We got to start crunching the numbers and start looking at the data and start looking at where things lie because mm -hmm. a story is in there. We just got to figure out what it is. And that's going to tell us how we need to move forward. So why do you think people ignore that? Oh, I think it's just overwhelm is the first thing. I think people get overwhelmed with where to even start. That is the number one thing I hear, especially with budgeting. The number one reason that I hear of why people don't budget is I don't know where to start. And I think they're just overwhelmed, right? They don't have a process in place and they just get confused. The other part of it, I would say on top of overwhelm is just, I think a lot of people know that the numbers and the data are really going to point them to what's going on. And a lot of people just want to avoid. They don't want to face the numbers. They don't want to face the truth. They don't want to face the reality. The number of people, when you ask them how much, you know, how much debt do you have? And they can't even answer that question because they've right. just never even sat down to total up the amount of all their loans is shocking. And I think a big part of that is just people just want to avoid it. They, cause you know, it's like, cause if you know what it is, then it's like, well, then you got to do something about it. Right. That's so, so true. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Okay. So we're going to dive into a little bit of your personal story in just a second, but I'm personally curious, where did you, where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How was many talked about when you were a kid? Give us all the details. Yeah. So I'm currently, I'll just kind of run through like where I am now, but kind of where you know, everything came from, but I'm 30 years old right now. I live in Houston, Texas. I'm married to my husband, Ryan, no kids yet, but I grew up in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas in a town called Coppell and Coppell was, you know, I would say very kind of just average middle class. Definitely. I would say it was above kind of like blue collar, but definitely not like super swanky either. It was right kind of in the middle there. So very like, you know, average middle class upbringing, my parents, you know, both worked extremely hard my entire life, but kind of diving into a little deeper about how, you know, the role that money played when I was younger and in my childhood, it really didn't play much of a role 
at all, to be honest. In my household with my parents, it wasn't really something that was talked about a lot. Um, but to be honest, I always, you know, now looking back, I don't really think I realized it as a young adult or as a teenager or, or even as a kid. But now looking back, I definitely kind of sense the pressure and that in, in the anxiety that it definitely added to the household as far as, you know, my mom and my dad. So it, 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 it really wasn't ever talked about to be, to be completely honest with you. And that was kind of a big part and kind of leads into my entire story of really kind of, you know, if it's, if it's okay, if I just go ahead and just dive into that. Yes, please. Um, so, you know, it was never really talked about growing up. I got my first job when I was 15. I was actually a waitress. And what's so funny now is, you know, it was a great job for a 15 year old. Like looking back, I'm like, I cannot believe how much cash I used to walk out of that restaurant with every yeah. night when I would wrap my shift as a 15 year old. But the issue was, is that nobody in my life was telling me like, Hey, why don't you just go ahead and slow down? Because as soon as I had that money, it was already gone. Like it was spent in my mind. I already knew where that money was going, what I was spending it on. Nobody slowed me down to say, Hey, like maybe you want to tuck away half of that, maybe put half of it away and then you can spend the other half or save it for a bigger purchase that you want to make. I mean, I never had, you know, I was making like, you know, for a 15 year old, pretty good money, but I never really had any because I was always spending it. So anyways, what did when, you spend it on? Um, lots of clothes. Yeah. <laughs> lots of sure. clothes as a teenager. Um, just like, I remember going to the movies with my friends, um, just like eating out stuff like that. I remember my friends and I were like always going to the Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> big time. Oh my God. Yeah. We were big time. We would go to like the Chili's and the TGI Fridays. And I mean, you know, on the weekends and stuff, but I was just spending all my money on those things. And like, honestly, a lot of clothes. Um, oh man. I mean, I was like a regular at the mall, just spending money on clothes. Clothes was probably like the biggest thing. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And so, you know, then I went to college. I actually went to Texas A&M university and college station and I got my degree in marketing there and the whole, well, it's not hilarious, actually. It's pretty embarrassing looking back, but I, you know, going to college, I had no idea the four years that I was in college, how my college was being paid for. Yep. If I'm being completely honest with you, because, you know, growing up in the area that I did, you know, talking to all my friends in high school, they, you know, it was kind of funny because I had heard my friends kind of mention and say that their parents were paying for college. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of assumed the same thing. I just kind of assumed like, oh, like mom and dad are paying for college. You know what I mean? Yeah. But because money was never something that we ever talked about, I didn't even feel like I needed to have a conversation with them about it. Like it, it did not even cross my mind to even ask my parents at the time, like, hey, like, how's this getting paid for? You know what I mean? I just kind yeah. of assumed like, well, they got it. And so I went through all four years of college, not really knowing, not really caring or thinking or really asking about like, hey, how is this all being paid for? And I didn't even realize that I was $40,000 in student loan debt until after I had graduated from college. Oh, which is crap. Pretty, yeah, which is insane to say, insane to say. Um, I will tell you what's so funny is I've I've only ever had one late payment ever get reported on my credit report because I was 60 days late making the payment. Mm -hmm. And that was a student loan that I had. And I was 60 days late paying on it because I didn't even know it existed. Oh my I did goodness. not. Yeah, I did not even know it existed until like 
you know, one day I get this letter in the mail and it's like, hey, you're 60 days past due on this student loan. And I'm like, student loan? What student loan? So luckily that has just rolled off because it's been seven years. Praise <laughs> be. So I know. So it's off my credit report now. Um, but yeah, so it's so crazy to think about, you know, graduating from college, having $40,000 of student loan debt that frankly, I didn't even know existed. And so I started my first, you know, big girl job out of college. And like most millennials do nowadays, I, my job was back in the Dallas area. And so I said, well, I'm just going to move back home for a year. I'm going to move back home and just live with my parents for a year. And, you know, the, reason that I gave myself, which is comical now, is that I was going to use that year to, you know, save money and really make a dent in this debt and that sort of thing. So I graduated from college and my first job out of college, I was making $60,000 a year, which for almost eight years ago now for an entry level salary, like it's pretty decent. I would I say. Gonna say that does sound like a pretty good starting yeah. salary. Yeah. And so, you know, I was making $60,000 a year. I was living at home. I, the company that I was working for gave me a car to drive. They paid for the gas. They paid for the insurance. They paid for my cell phone bill. Wow. So yeah. So it was a pretty sweet gig, but the point I'm trying to make is that I virtually for an entire, my pretty much first year out of college had hardly any expenses. Like my car was, you know, it was like the car that I did have was already paid off. And then the car that they gave me to drive, they, they they were covering everything for it. So I was living at home for a year with no expenses, making $60,000 a year. And so you would think that in that year that it's like, oh my gosh, just think of like the headway that you can make. Think of the progress that you can make in that year, how much you right. can save, how much you can put towards the debt, all that sort of stuff. But again, my bad money habits followed me into that year. And, you know, I kind of equate it to an analogy of, you know, when you have the kid that has like super strict parents and then he goes off to college and he just goes crazy. That was kind of me except with money. So it was like, I, you know, had been making money. I'd been working since I was 15, but just spending it, spending it, spending it. And so throughout college, I mean, if you were to check my bank account in college at any given point in time, there'd probably be 20 to 50 bucks in there at any given point in time. So it really was this literal kind of like zero to 60 with money of never really having any because I was always spending it. Now I'm making $60,000 a year and the spending just amplified. And so essentially for an entire, like I blew, you know, to kind of speed this up and make a long story short. At the end of that year that I told myself, oh, I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to spend all this time, you know, saving this money and paying off my debt. I virtually made no progress. I blew through an entire year's worth of salary on eating every single meal out, even though I was living at home. Right. I ate every single meal out. I, on my lunch breaks, I kid you not, I would leave my office, go to North Park Mall in Dallas, Texas, which is like a very swanky upscale mall. And I would walk into Banana Republic and I would literally swipe my my Banana Republic credit card and put 400 bucks on it. Like, no, no big problem. Deal. Yep. No big deal. No big deal. And I mean, I was always paying it off. But the point is, is I was just spending, spending, spending. And so at the end of that year, I remember, you know, everybody kind of has that moment. They're kind of come to Jesus moment where they're like, something's got to give here. Something's got to change. I remember looking at my bank account and saying, okay. I know how much money I've made this past year and I virtually have to pay for nothing. Like, where is all my money? Where did mm -hmm. all it go? 
because at the end of that year, my best friend graduated from college and she was moving to Dallas. And so we were going to move into an apartment together. And so I remember one day I kind of sat down and was like, okay, well, you know, now I kind of need to start paying attention to things because now I'm going to have rent to pay and utilities to pay and all these things to start paying that I haven't really had to worry about before. And that's when I really started looking and diving in and realizing, oh my gosh, like I'm broke. Like yeah. I am flat broke. That sucks too. That yeah. I think we, we can oh all relate gosh. to that moment. Yeah. And then you racked up some credit card debt in the meantime too. Is that right? Yeah. So to kind of, you know, bring my husband into this story. So I actually met Ryan um, at this job. So this job that I'm talking about, I actually met my husband and you know, I had my student loan debt and he had student loan debt as well. So he had about $45,000 of student loans from his MBA. And then the credit card debt actually came from him because he was doing his MBA full time. And while he was doing his MBA full time, he put all of his living expenses on credit cards. Sure. And so that's where the credit cards come in because at that time, Ryan and I were dating pretty seriously. And, you know, we both kind of sat down because Ryan was in with this too. I mean, a lot of like the times where I was going out to eat and we were going to happy hours and stuff like Ryan was right along with me because we all, <laughs> of course, we, right? Yeah. Because, you know, we worked at the same place and we had all the same coworkers or whatever. So he was pretty much like doing the same thing. And so we kind of had this moment together where we're like, okay, like we're in a serious relationship, not engaged yet, but we, we know that we both have this student loan debt and we've got to figure this out moving forward. And so that's kind of where the whole $98,000 came in. And I feel like we did it very untraditionally. And I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody should do this, but even before we were engaged, Ryan and I have always viewed like our, like my debt and his debt. It's never really been separate. It's kind got of just it. been, okay, this is something that we're going to tackle together. Right. And that's kind of how we how we viewed it. Back I think then. there's nothing wrong with that either. Right. It works for everybody's different. We all have to personalize it and make it our own. So I think the fact that you did that is awesome. Um, so tell me about the time then where you guys sat down and you created a budget together. Is that how it started for you? Yeah, that's essentially how it started. So we sat down and we kind of looked at, you know, our incomes, what we had been spending. So we were totally blown away with the amount that we had been spending just on eating out and me on clothes. But that's really when we reeled it in and said, okay, we've got to start budgeting and we've got to make a plan to get this debt paid off. Yeah. Ryan grew up in a very, I would say different financial household than I did. His parents were always extreme. Not, not, not that my parents weren't fiscally conservative, um, or good with money. But I think Ryan's parents just showed it a lot more. Like it was definitely a part of his upbringing. It, you know, Ryan tells me he has this memory of when he was, you know, a little kid that th his parents paid off their home and he oh, sat, wow. Yeah. So he sat like, you know, Ryan and his brother down on the couch and was like, you know, boys, I just want to let you know that like we paid off our house today. So things like that to just That's kind of show, you know, Ryan and his brother, like these are kind of the steps that we're taking. So I feel like Ryan kind of like had a little wild face for a while. And then just based off of his upbringing, he was like, all right, we got to reel this in. He was actually the one more so that kind of, you know, was like, Paige, we've got to do something about this. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So sat down, started doing a budget and made a plan to kind of tackle that debt. 
And it took us, you know, once we started executing it, I don't feel like we necessarily had the fastest story that you hear where, you know, you're paying off crazy amounts of debt in a super short amount of time. It took us five years to pay all that off. So, you know, we were averaging probably about $20,000 a year. But I would also say, too, is that, you know, within that time or that five year time frame, there were also a lot of milestones in our life that we kind of paused paying off debt to focus on instead. So mm -hmm. some of those things are, you know, we kind of got to a point where we're like, OK, either we're going to have to, you know, get married now because we did. We wanted to get married, but we're like, we can either do it now or if we want to wait till we're completely debt free, we're going to have to wait for like four years. And we didn't wow. want to do that. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. Yeah. So you you still cash flowed your wedding during that time, too? Yeah. So we we did a couple things actually. We cash flowed our, you know, my engagement ring, our wedding and our honeymoon during that time. I decided that I wanted to go back to school at night and get my MBA, and so we cash flowed that. And then we also cash flowed the down payment to our first home all in that 5 year. Oh my time gosh, period. that's a lot. It is a lot. It is. So it's definitely, you know, I kind of look at our number and I'm like, well, we probably could have gotten through that $98,000 a lot faster than five years had we just completely focused on it and not done any of those other things. But I will tell you too, is that what I found just talking to people, I think that's what a lot of people in their 20s really struggle with when it comes to paying off debt. Because I feel like what a lot of people hear, the message that they're hearing is that you have to get your debt paid off before you can do anything else, right? Like so before, you, you know, like before you buy a home, before you get married, before you start a family, before this, 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 you have to have your debt paid off. And to me, I feel like that kind of pushes people away. To me, it's like, I, I just agree. want you to get your debt paid off, right? Like if you want to go ahead and get married and cash flow your wedding and kind of pause your debt snowball, debt, debt, debt avalanche, whatever it is that you've chosen to do, fund your wedding and then keep going. I think that that's fine, right? I, because I think so too. Yeah. I mean, the reality of it is, is people in their twenties, there's, there's so many milestones that we face that nobody really like prepares you for that are so expensive, right? Mm -hmm. And not to say that you have to be doing any of these things, not to say that you have to be, be buying a home or you have to be getting married or you have to be starting a family. But from what I've found is that that's, those are the milestones that people really struggle with when it's kind of coupled with debt. People don't know what to do. Like I told you earlier, and then they just kind of like freeze and they're like, for well, wait, sure. like, do I like what order do I go in? Like, do I do debt first? Do I do? And it's like, it's okay if you want to do, a, you know, debt and then pause and then save up for something, buy whatever it is that you're saving up for and then keep going on that debt train. That's what we did. And it, you know, it worked, it worked really well for us. I mean, yeah, obviously it takes longer, but the finish line is still the same. As long as you get there, just get there. How did you balance? Okay. So I, I could see a lot of people that get onto, I love the idea of like just balancing life and living life as you go and not having to be so concerned about that deferred life plan. But how do you balance making sure that you stay focused on paying off your debt and not just procrastinating and pushing it out further? How'd you guys stay motivated? So one thing, okay, so this is also kind of funny. 
when Ryan and I were getting out of debt, we like literally told nobody about it. Like no nobody, kidding. no, like nobody knew. It was kind of like, you know, honestly at the time, now I have a completely different mindset around it. But at the time, mind you, this is all before like Purposeful Penny, all of this, like I hadn't even like, you know, conjured the idea of Purposeful Penny in my mind. And so we told nobody about it. Nobody knew that like we had this mountain of debt that we were trying to get through. And so having each other to really just like lean on and have that accountability was so huge. And I know that people might be sitting there and being like, well, yeah, that's great because you were engaged or you were married and like, I'm single and I don't have anybody. Like it doesn't have to be a spouse or a boyfriend. It can be a parent. It can be a friend, but I would also say, like, find somebody who you know that you can trust that can keep you accountable and that can keep you focused. Um, And what we what Ryan and I did a lot is we is we talked a lot about what our future was going to look like when all of this was over, which was actually that. So it was like. So every, so every month it was like all of our money was going out the door towards something, right? Either towards debt or towards saving for one of these milestones that we were saving for. And so we never really had a lot of extra money to like travel or to buy any extra kind of like miscellaneous items, that sort of thing. And so we would talk a lot about like, okay, like where are the places that we're going to want to travel when all of this is over? We didn't necessarily have like a physical vision board, so to speak, that we had like up in our house somewhere, but it was almost like we created this vision board between the two of us just through like constant conversation that we were having with each other. Um, Ryan and I, you know, I, I, I will say this, we talk about money all the time, all the time. It's probably like a daily conversation that we have, you know, even if it's just like little snippets, but just having those conversations, even if it's not a spouse, even if it's a friend, um, or a parent or a trusted family member, just visualize what your life is going to look like once all this is over. Because I totally understand like when you're in it, it can be so hard when you're in it. It can be like, this is never going to end. Like, where is the light at the end of this tunnel? Like we're never going to get out. It's never going to end. But having that vision of what your life is going to be like, you know, if you, if you want to travel, where, where are the places that you're going to travel. If you want to, you know, redo your kitchen, right? Like what is your kitchen going to look like? Kind of visualize those things that you're going to be able to do once you're done. That was super helpful for us. That makes perfect sense. So let's get into detail on some of the the plans. So you had a budget. How did you set up your budget? Was it like a zero sum budget? Were you using software? How did that look for you guys? Yep. So we do a zero-based budget, and I actually am a YNAB girl. Um, I am a huge YNAB fan. For those of you listening, YNAB is a budgeting software. It stands for You Need a Budget, but it's essentially a zero-based budgeting software system, and it is it is a budget-by-paycheck system. So that was actually something that I kind of had to get a little bit used to, but it's a budget by paycheck system. And I've been using it for a couple years now and I absolutely love it. I'm in it every single day, but that was kind of the first step of just getting everything set up, tracking our income, tracking all of our expenses. And then what you can also do within YNAB is you can set up goals. So you can set up like savings goals or the amount that you want to put towards debt. And so that's how we tracked everything was in YNAB. So I'm a huge fan of YNAB. um, But 
I, I'm not really like a pen and paper type of person. Like I love software. Like I, anything that can make my life easier and just track stuff for me, I'm all about, but that's what I've used for years and I absolutely love it. How'd you guys balance like emergency savings when paying off debt and cash flow and all of these milestones? Yep. That's a great question. So we actually had um, about $3,000 worth of savings throughout, which kind of sounds like crazy that, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's crazy to look back and think that for five years we had $3,000 in savings, but that's, that's what we did. So I, I had kind of heard a little bit, you know, at the time I wasn't really even that familiar with like, you know, Dave Ramsey, not that we completely follow Dave Ramsey, but I am familiar with his baby steps. And I know, you know, like he, he recommends a thousand dollars. I just felt like a thousand dollars was just a little bit too thin. I was just like, man, like, that that can just go so fast and so we beefed it up to three thousand dollars and honestly that's what i tell people now what i tell people now when they ask me that question when they say hey like what do you think i need to have as far as an emergency fund while i'm getting out of debt if you're single or you're married with no kids i usually say three thousand dollars if you're married and you have kids and you have a big family, just there's more opportunities for emergencies to arise. I say even beef that up, maybe even a little more to like 5,000. Um, the whole point, yeah. I mean, it's like in my mind, it's like the whole point of an emergency fund is to keep you from having to go back into debt when the emergencies come up. And if you only have a thousand dollars saved, it's like that just goes so fast. So you've got your emergency fund in place and you guys had about 3000 which is pretty sizable. I mean, really, it's not too shabby. Did you, would you suggest people prioritize that first and go all in on that one goal before moving on to others? Or can you do it simultaneously with other goals? Yeah. So I, I say always first, like focus on getting that emergency fund saved up like that. That needs to be step one before you move on to anything else, because that's going to be your foundation and your cushion. I don't even want to say if I, I almost want to use the word when something happens because something will always happen. It always does. It happens okay. to everybody. So I always say start there. And then once you get that built up to whatever amount it is, whether you do want to do the thousand dollars or whether you want to do something a little bit more start there. And then after that, you can move on to whatever it is, whether that's getting your debt paid off or saving for a bigger expense, that sort of thing. But we have ours tucked away, like in a completely different savings account. Um, just so we know like, okay, this is specifically our emergency fund and it's separately, and it's not to be mixed or commingled with anything else that we're saving for. That's smart. Walk me yeah. through the system that you have. So is it one joint account and then your savings for your emergency funds and then sinking funds or other like mini piggy banks for others? How do you structure it? Yeah. So what we do is Ryan and I, you know, everything we have is joined. Um, so we have one checking account that every that our paychecks flow into all the money that we earn flows into and then all of our bills get paid out of that checking account then we have actually a second checking account that anything variable comes out of so anything that's not a bill comes out of that second checking account so groceries gas going out to eat entertainment you know anything that's not like a set bill every month comes out of that second checking account and okay. that's that's the checking account that we both have our debit cards to. We don't even carry debit cards for our other checking account because it's strictly just for bills. 
Oh, like, I wondered about that. Yeah. So money just comes in and bills get paid out of it. And like, that's it. So we don't like, we don't even carry debit accounts for that checking account. We only carry debit card or um, debit cards for that second checking account that I mentioned where just all of our variable stuff flows out of. Got and it. And yeah. And then we have three savings accounts. So we have one savings account that holds our emergency fund that I mentioned. We have a second savings account that holds our um, rainy day fund, which, you know, I can talk about this a little bit more, but that's separate from the emergency fund and serves a separate purpose. And then we have a third savings account that we use for sinking funds. And I don't do the traditional like paper cash envelopes with sinking funds. I can actually track all of that through YNAB, through my budgeting tool. I can see you know, how much is within each category. And so all the money that we hate that we have saved towards sinking funds actually is in that third savings account. Got it. That makes so yeah. much sense. Okay. So let me, let me dig into this a little bit more to see if I understand. So each of your paychecks goes into, is it the variable checking account or the fixed one? The fixed. The fixed. And then from the fixed, then you'll transfer basically enough. Well, you'll leave enough for your fixed expenses and then mm-hmm. move the rest to the variable. Is that the case? Yep. That's exactly what I do. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I personally, like the whole reason that I do it this way is I really like when I log into my bank account, because in the past we just had one, right? So like all of our, all of our income went into it and all of our expenses came out of it. And I didn't like how, when I logged into the bank account and I looked at the balance in the checking account, the question that always came into my mind was, okay, well, how much of that can I actually spend on like going to the movies or going out to eat? Like how much of that is actually like, do I actually need to keep in there? Because I have to, you know, pay the cable bill or pay our cell phone bill. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I keep it separately so that I know that when, you know, it's like when I log in and I look at that checking account, it's like, okay, I know exactly how much money we have left within a given pay period to spend on, you know, all the variable stuff that I talked about, whether it's groceries or gas or going out to eat or something like that. Totally fair. Okay. So now that you are completely out of debt, you are able to boost up your retirement savings, even to a really large amount. Were you still mm-hmm. contributing to retirement when you were paying off debt? Yes. We were. And that also kind of is, you know, different from the Dave Ramsey plan. I am actually a a huge, huge proponent. This is just my personal opinion, but I am a huge proponent of still paying off or still contributing to your retirement while you're paying off debt, especially if you are like, you know, in your twenties and your thirties, because that is the most opportune time. What I always say is that is when your money is the most powerful. That's when it packs the most punch. And so, you know, when I hear about, you know, people delaying saving for retirement for five years, 10 years, and, you know, when they're in their Mm. 20s because they're trying to get out of debt, I'm just like, oh my gosh. I'm like, honestly, I think, and again, this is kind of going back to what I said earlier. It's like, have you actually, it's like, okay, I understand that you're doing that because, you know, Mr. Financial, you know, advisor or guru over here told you that's what you should do. Mm -hmm. But it's like, have you actually sat down and calculated the impact that that decision is going to have on your overall nest egg when you're 65, because I can tell you it's 
huge. It's way more. It is way more because people are like, well, then it's going to take me longer to get out of debt. I'm like, the amount that you're going to end up retiring with because you're Mm -hmm. saving right now is going to be probably honestly more than tenfold than what you're saving in interest paying off your debt. And so- That is why I'm such a huge proponent, and I always tell people to continue saving for retirement even while you're getting out of debt. And, you know, you don't have to be maxing it out. You don't have to be doing 15, 20% a year. But what I always say is, you know, at a minimum, be getting your match if you have a match available to you. That in my world, that is like a cardinal sin if you are not getting (laughs) totally. When you are not getting your match, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is just free money that your company is basically like, here, take it. And you're like, eh, no, like, I think I'm okay. I'm not going to take it. I'd rather not have it. Oh my gosh. So we absolutely, you know, I'll tell you kind of what, what I did. So I, you know, when I started at my very first job, I was 21 and I, oh gosh, I remember this so vividly because I remember saying out loud to the HR person that was sitting with me, what's a 401k? I didn't even know what a 401k was. She was like, okay, and here's where you're going to, you know, pick your elections for your 401k. I was like, what's a 401k? So I texted my (laughs) mom and I said, yeah, I said, mom, like, what do I do? And she's like, yeah, definitely. You know, I'm so thankful that she told me that because she's like, yeah, definitely start contributing to it. So at the time the thank goodness for this HR lady, the HR lady told me, well, why don't you go ahead and do 6%? Because 6% is what you need to basically get the full company match. And so I said, okay, that's what I'll do. So I started with 6%. And basically what I've done every year since then, you know, I'm, I'm 30 now. So it's been about, you know, eight and a half years. But every year, what I've done is I've just bumped it up one to 2%. And now I'm to a point where I'm completely maxing out my 401k as far as just the maximum dollar amount that you can be contributing to it, which I believe this year they just changed it to like 18,500. But now I'm to a point where I'm completely maxing it out. And so what I always like to tell people is this doesn't have to be the sort of thing where you're going from zero to 60. In fact, I almost recommend that you don't do that because that just doesn't really work well. It's kind of like crash dieting. It just doesn't work well for a lot of people. And so even if you just have to start, you know, at that four, five, 6% to kind of get your company match, whether you have one or not, and then every year, just kind of bump it up, you know, one, two, three percentage points, because I promise you really at the end of the day, after, you know, taxes are taken out, your benefits and all that sort of stuff, the impact that bumping up your retirement contribution one to 2% has on your overall take-home pay, it's really not that much. No, I mean, it it's, really it, it's really not like you, 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 you hardly even notice it. And so to me, it's kind of like, why not just continue bumping it up until you kind of get to a point where you're either, you know, contributing that kind of, you know, magic range that everybody says that you should try to get to that 15 to 20% or you're just maxing it out completely. Mm-hmm. I'm with you 100%. And I totally agree too, because I think you're spot on. When you have the opportunity to make free money, it, you're crazy not to take that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are sitting and you're looking at maybe six months, 12 months before you're out of debt, I can maybe understand that. That I can get while you would maybe push pause. But five to 10 years, guys, that's way too long, especially when you're in your 20s. Yeah. And, you know, I would highly encourage everyone who's listening to this, especially if you are in your 20s, go, you know, 
do kind of what I've been saying. If you're kind of having this predicament of, you know, well, what should I do? Should I be contributing to retirement? Like I haven't been because this is what everyone's telling me not to do. Just go to Google. I mean, there are so many calculators out there. Go to Google and Google retirement calculator. And, you know, you can easily figure out essentially, okay, like, let's just say I was going to contribute 5% of my income. What would that be? What would that grow to 40 years from now? Right. Because essentially, if you're putting in zero percent now and you're contemplating, okay, maybe I should move to like five percent, you can easily calculate the impact that that's going to make to your overall nest egg. And I can pretty much guarantee you that once you know that and once you see that you're going to be like, well, crap, I should have been doing this a lot sooner because it is so significant, so significant. Oh, yeah. It's like a couple hundred thousand dollars for a lot of people. It's crazy. Easily. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's this whole concept of compound interest, you know, and compound interest really, you know, it's like Warren Buffett, Albert Einstein, they they call it the eighth wonder of the world just because of how it behaves mathematically. And it really is. But the whole trick with compound interest is that the more time you give it, the more powerful it becomes. And so that is why, you know, I get asked sometimes, well, like why I don't, I don't understand. Like, why is it, why is it more powerful to, you know, for, for a 21 year old to start saving than somebody who's 40. It's like, because that 21 year old has 19 years, 19 extra years on that 40 year old to just let your money grow. It is essentially the epitome of working smarter, not harder with your money. The earlier, yeah, the earlier you can start, the harder your money is going to work for you. And the less that you're actually going to have to put in out of your own money out of pocket. So that's why I always say, like, start early, even do it while you're getting out of debt. I I, I understand that it's going to take a little bit longer, but I promise you, like, it's going to be worth it. Your 65-year-old retired self will be thanking you that you did. For sure. And I think there's a lot of mindset stuff that goes into that, too. If If you don't train yourself to pay off your debt and never go back into debt and you procrastinated on putting money into retirement – hypothetically, if you went back into debt and you started that process over again, you're literally never going to have money in your retirement account. And that's Mm -mm. incredibly scary. I think we're seeing that for our parents' generation now is they they don't have enough money saved. It's such a sad thing. Yeah. No, I know. I know. And, you know, it's just what, what I, what I always hear, you know, talking to people my age is like, they just think that they have so much time. Right. Which, yes. I mean, of course it's like when you're in your twenties, like, yes, that of course that's very young. But what I always hear is that mindset of what you just said is like, I'll get to it later. Right. Like I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Like I have so much time. I'm still so young. And I, you know, I, what I wish people could understand is that they're missing out on the most opportune time that they have to build substantial wealth, you know, substantial millionaire. I I mean, I think, I think what a lot of people in their twenties don't even realize is that if you start early enough, you really don't even have to save that much money every month to retire a millionaire. Like Mm -hmm. it's really, it's really not not anything crazy or insane. People hear, you know, millionaire and they think like, oh, well, that that will never happen. That will never be me. Right. But, you know, it's like I wish what more people could realize is like it absolutely can be you. It can be you if you're disciplined enough to start saving. Right. And, you know, how Ryan and I have it is like it's it's not even like money to 
us. Like sometimes people ask us, you know, well, how do you guys, how do you guys budget that? I say, it's not in our budget. It doesn't even flow into our checking accounts. It's taken out before we even have a choice. Like, you know, before we're even paid, it's taken out of our paychecks, right? So just make it as automatic as possible. And, you know, even if, even if you don't like work in corporate America and you don't have, you know, a 401k or a formal company plan, an IRA is a great place to start. I mean, you can open up an IRA at so, I mean, pretty much every single, you know, bank or investment firm has just like a standard IRA that you can open, which stands for an individual retirement account. And it's basically the same thing as a 401k, but, you know, there won't be like a company match. But if you don't know where to start, if you're self-employed or if you just don't have a, a plan through work, just start there. Start with an IRA. Yep, I totally agree. And I think they're so, so easy to start. And then there's now the addition to robo advisors. Like there's so many opportunities, guys. You just have to do a little bit of research mm-hmm. to see what's best for you. Paige, I have truly loved this conversation. It has been awesome. And I love that we were able to kind of get on our soapbox for a minute and talk about retirement and paying off debts. I think it's so important and we don't yeah. hear enough of that other side. So I appreciate you sharing that. For everybody listening in, Paige, where do we go to find you and more of your work? So you can go to my website, which is thepurposefulpenny.com. On social, definitely where I'm the most active is Instagram, which is at thepurposefulpenny. But you can also find me on Facebook and Pinterest, searching at thepurposefulpenny. I absolutely love it. Yeah, Yeah, your Instagram is so fun and so inspirational, too. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) But before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fires? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Paige, what's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Ooh. Well, last week I purchased myself some cycling shoes because I've recently started cycling a lot. And every time I was going to cycling, I was having to pay $3 for the shoes every time, which like I'm sure you can understand is like the financial soul in me just like slowly died every time I had to pay the $3. So (laughs) I bought myself some cycling shoes last week and I'm really excited about them. Get it, girl. It's the little things, right? It is. (laughs) All right, Paige, what's your current morning routine? Ooh, this is a good one. So, hmm, I, I, okay. So I will say that each morning can look a little different for me just with my full-time job, just depending on, you know, when I have conference calls and if I'm traveling, I do have to travel quite a bit for my full-time job, but I will say, regardless of wherever I am, the first thing that I do when I wake up is I work out. So I go and I work out. Um, I am a big Orange Theory girl. I love Orange Theory. And kind of like I said, I um, have recently picked up cycling. So I'll usually either go to an Orange Theory class or do a cycling class. And then after that, I always come home. I make my coffee. I sit down. I do some journaling. I actually really... um, enjoy and love Rachel Hollis's her start today journal. Um, so yeah, so I do that. And then basically after that, I start my day. So I start, you know, usually after that, it's my full-time job that picks up after that, that I start, but that's typically, it always starts with a workout just to get that out of the way and then always get my coffee and do my journal and then get the day started. Yeah. Beautiful. That's a great one. Okay. I know you're big into traveling too. So where's one location you're dying to travel to? 
Ooh, so my husband and I are actually planning a trip to Thailand next spring, which is somewhere I've always wanted to go. So we are planning that. Um, my husband is not so sold on it. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna trust you on this one. Um, but it's like my 30th birthday trip, so I'm like, you don't really get to say this. this no, I'm heck like, no, yeah, this is your like, trip. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, this one's up to me. Um, so yeah, we're going to Thailand, and I'm so excited about it. I've always wanted to go there, so. So fun. I'm excited yeah. to follow along. I'd love to go there as well. So I will be yeah. stalking your, your journey heard, for sure. I've heard great things. So Same. Yeah. I, I mean, it's cheap. It's awesome. The food's interesting. Like you, you win either way. Yep. All right. Last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Ooh, that's a good one. You know, we didn't really talk about this a whole lot, but I am also super big on just having a positive money mindset. Mm-hmm. And what I always try to tell people is you being successful financially, it has to start with a positive mindset around the fact that you can. Um, one of my least favorite things that I always hear, particularly women say, is when they say like, well, I'm just not good with money. And my response to that is, if that's what you truly think about yourself, then you will never be good with money. It's like, you are what you say that you are. And so to me, you know, yes, like budgeting is so important and having a plan and getting out of debt and saving for retirement. But from what I found, none of that is going to happen. You won't even get on the path to heading in that direction if you don't have a mindset that you that that you know that you, that you can that you can even do something like that. So just having a positive mindset and just believing that this is in the cards for you. Like you can build wealth, you can be wealthy, you can be good with money. Um, so that that's my biggest thing. I love it. Paige, thank you so much for your time. It was truly a pleasure getting to know you more and hearing about how you structured your financial life when you were paying off debt. Super impactful. And I'm so grateful you took the time to share with us. Yeah. Thanks, Whitney. This has been so fun. All right. What did you think? I love this episode. I thought it was really interesting. I specifically liked Paige's perspective on how those bad financial habits started to compound and how she had graduated college, had no clue how much debt she owed. I relate to that. I was in the exact same situation when I graduated college. I didn't pay attention. I really didn't. I was just doing what I thought was right, which was get through school and then you'll worry about all that debt and your salary stuff later. And so I I relate to that a lot. But I think the piece that was so interesting is how she turned her 20s into this very transformational foundational period in her life where you don't struggle. You are actually setting up your foundation so your 30s, 40s and beyond are amazing. I thought that was really cool. That's what I personally took away, but I'd love to hear from you. What did you take away from this episode? Leave me a review and let me know what specifically about this episode you liked. Honestly, if you enjoy this podcast and you want to help the show grow and get in front of more people, that's like the simplest, easiest thing you can do that really does make a big, big difference when it comes to the show getting in front of more people. It means the world to me too. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I love you. I hope you're having a great week and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.